Welcome to another episode of Criterion on the Couch, a podcast from two amateur film buffs as they make their way through the vast Criterion collection one title at a time, all from the comfort of the couch. We record each episode immediately after we watch each film. I'm Adam Yurick, along with Jim Massessa. Today's episode features My Dinner with Andre. Jim's going to take us through the official Criterion summary and specs. In this captivating and philosophical film directed by Louis Mal, actor and playwright Wallace Shawn sits down with his friend, the theater director Andre Gregory, at a restaurant on New York's Upper West Side, and the pair proceed through an alternately whimsical and despairing confessional about love, death, money, and the superstition in between. Playing variations on their own New York-honed personas, Sean and Gregory, who also co-wrote the screenplay, dive in with introspective intellectual gusto, and Mal captures it all with a delicate, artful detachment. A fascinating freeze frame of cosmopolitan culture, My Dinner with Andre remains a unique work in cinema history. This movie came out in 1981. It is 111 minutes, which doesn't seem like that's what we saw. I feel like it was longer than that. 111 minutes? Maybe. It, did, it was definitely longer than that. Uh, it's in color. It is 1.66 to 1 aspect ratio. And if you're following along at home, this is criteria number 479. Well done. Yeah, I thought this was it was definitely more than 111 minutes. Yeah, I, I think it was like a, an hour and 40 or so. I don't know where. Were we watching it with like some of the like extra uncut stuff maybe I, I i have no idea i mean i guess 111 minutes that'd be about what we saw i don't over 90 be over 90 minutes well anyway sure felt long <laughs> well yeah i mean uh i have seen this movie before it's been a while and this is the first time you've seen the movie right yes yes uh first and only first and only <laughs> <laughs> so it's i would say that the first part of the movie Probably like the first hour or so is pretty heavy because you have Andre talking the entire time. Pretty aside much Aside from the first yeah. like 10 minutes that's uh, Wally kind of doing his voiceover as we get to the dinner. Uh, and I mean, in his own self-description, Wally, I mean, not Wally, uh, Andre kind of comes off as a very pompous, uh, spoiled, as he says that at the end of one of his long diatribes about what he was doing, um, that he comes across as like a spoiled little princess. Uh, and I think that kind of, you know, uh, he kind of came off as like a guy who had a ton of money and he could just kind of, he didn't know what he was, kind of having a, a midlife crisis and was just yeah. kind of going off doing random crap. I, I like this movie, but really it's the last half, last third of the movie that I think is the part that's more enjoyable when Wally starts, to, like it actually becomes a conversation. Right. I think is where it's more you know, like you could imagine yourself being in a dinner, not necessarily talking about what they're talking about, but having those types of conversations. The back and forth, I think, is where Wallace just kind of unloads on Andre, I guess, for... Yeah, I mean, if this was me having dinner um, with this guy, I would not have ordered dessert. I would have been like, I got to get going. Well, they didn't order dessert. They ordered espresso well, and a amarato post Post-meal. Did you notice that the waiter brought the salads after their meal yeah i didn't was know that like that an old, older thing so i think one of the things that obviously what the movie only is you know is whatever 111 minutes and they obviously were supposed to have been at that table for hours but we're actually not watching there's parts of the conversation mm, that we're not seeing true. even though it appears as if we're seeing the whole thing 
because they we don't really ever see them eat that much, but we see all the food has gone off their plates. So they did eat the food. Yeah, Wally eats a little bit of the quail. Uh, yeah, and so does Andre too. He's kind of like nibbling on the one and quail the potato leg. soup. Yeah, the potato he soup. He took like three spoonfuls of that. Yeah, so I, I think that there's, you know, we're obviously not seeing the whole thing because they say at the end, oh, you know, like they look up and everyone's gone from the restaurant. Right. Yeah, they close. So it's down. obvious that uh, that they've been up there for hours. Something we should mention: the names of the actors and the names of the characters they play are the same. Right, but they're not playing themselves. They're not playing themselves. But Wallace Shawn, his character's name is Wallace Shawn, and Andre Gregory is his character's name is Andre Gregory. Right. And in real life, Wallace Wally's girlfriend's name was Deb who I guess later became his wife in real life. And in this movie, Andre's wife's name is Chiquita. Right. Or that's what he calls her. And in real life, that was his wife's nickname was Chiquita. Right. So I assume the kids' names were... Again, it's very like... I hate when people are like, no, this movie's not about us. But everything in the movie just happens to be the same as us. Like, Well, I, I think if you... That's lazy writing is what that is. Yeah, I mean, in a way, though, they, they do talk a lot about surrealism. I don't know if you this is, movie wouldn't be considered surrealism, but in a way, that's kind of an interesting take to... It is surrealistic to yeah. be named the same. Like, it's almost as if they're living, living alternate versions of their lives, I guess you could say. It reminded me of... Uh, I don't know how you pronounce it. Cynic... Synecdoche, New York, was a Schenectady? movie. It's not Schenectady. It's Schenectady. 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 S Y N E C D. The Charlie Coffin movie. O C H E. Play within a play within a play within a play. I always called it Schenectady, and people told me that's not correct. It's Schenectady. All right. Anyway, that movie was. What did people tell you to call it? Well, there's. I mean, I know there's an actual town Schenectady. Right. That's why it's called Schenectady, New York. Anywho, that movie, very surrealistic because it's like about a play within a play within a play. And just like some of the way the acting in this was very like pretentious kind of. And they're just talking about acting a lot and about being in the theater and theater crowds reminded me of that movie. Well, so just like Schenectady, the movie is about playwrights and yes, play directors. So and boring. So- yeah, yeah. I, I I was wondering like who is this other than just writing it for yourself for the sake of writing a movie, who who are who were they writing this for? Because I feel like the average person going to watch a movie would not find this interesting. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's a summer blockbuster. No, it's an but, art film. But even like of what they're talking about, like they're like dropping names of like playwrights and philosophers that nobody is going to know. I don't think I knew it's any the type of, of it's the type of movie that someone that a lot of people would go to see to make themselves seem like that they're smarter than they really are. And <laughs> what's actually interesting, no, what's interesting is that yeah, thanks. That <laughs> is that uh is that that's exactly who they're making fun of. Like not making fun of, but who they're critiquing in the film are these people who kind of go to the plays and they see the play and then they just leave and they're not really, you know. Yeah, I mean, I get that's what they were talking about, but it felt like they were taking it very seriously. I, I didn't, I didn't get any like. I mean, have you ever seen Waiting for Godot? I mean, that's just two guys sitting on a bench for yeah, like no. a whole play, just waiting for Godot, and it's a similar idea in this. Well, sense. she's here now in Wonder Woman. Oh yeah. Good, nice. 
so that that's kind of in the vein of what they did. They kind of wrote their own, like waiting waiting for Godot in a way. So yeah, speaking of vein, Andre, oof. Yeah, I, he definitely. I, I think that's the other thing you see in the film too is that the average viewer is going to identify most with Wally, where you kind of you see him and he's just like, okay, what are you talking about? And and I mean, even still, he gets at the end towards the end, and he's like, oh, I like my life. I just don't know how anybody could enjoy anything more than I enjoy uh, reading Charlton Heston's autobiography or, uh, you know, uh, getting up in the morning and uh, having the cup of cold coffee that's been waiting for me all night still there for me to drink in the morning. That part was a little weird. Who wants to wake up and drink day-old coffee? That yeah, I was like, sitting around. He said it a couple times, like he explained like, yeah, if there's not a cockroach in it, that's great. Like, if you wanted to drink your coffee that you left out from the day before, just cover it the night before. Uh, that's like sort of the the starving artist living in yeah. New York squalor. In the beginning the, of the, the movie, coolness in, of that. in his monologue, he's really kind of pushing that. Today, I'd had to be up by 10 in the morning to make some important phone calls. Then I'd gone to the stationery store to buy envelopes. Then to the Xerox shop. There were dozens of things to do. Wow. Like, well, come on. I, I think he's trying to be ironic and... Again, I, sarcastic. That stuff, I, I did not catch any irony in anything they said. Some of the facial features that Wally makes kind of hinted at that when Andre's talking and then he would look at Wally and he would just say like, yeah, and then he would maybe like squint one eye or kind of, uh-huh. It, well, consider too that I think it's easy to forget once Andre starts talking about Wally's voiceover at the beginning of the film because he's saying like... Worst thing of all was that I'd been trapped by an odd series of circumstances into agreeing to have dinner with a man I'd been avoiding literally for years. His name was Andre Gregory. Yeah, he says he's not looking forward to the dinner. Yeah, he doesn't, doesn't even want to be there. He, yeah. so he pretty much doesn't even like the guy, but he's he's going to dinner out of the courtesy of someone who would help, you know, who had been maybe a mentor to him at one point. Honestly, I feel like based on what he was talking about, he just wanted to go because he'd get a free dinner. And I mean, and they're in it. Let's we could just talk about the restaurant for a second because that was a pretty. It looked fancy. It was super fancy. Have you ever been to it? So I like been you to know. some fancy restaurants. Oh yeah, you've been go to a lot of fancy restaurants. Not sure. a lot, no, but I've been to a few. I mean, this looked like it I was can't supposed even to be remember. French. I was trying to think of the last time I went to a restaurant that had a coat check. Hmm. And what was with the wine in the baskets? I've never seen. Yeah, that I was going to ask you about that. I don't know if that was like an '80s thing. It had to like been. '70s, '80s thing. Putting because in the it wine made in the it, basket. It seemed like it made it much more difficult to pour. Right. And the, I don't know if this the guy who played the waiter was an actual waiter. I don't think so because he had a rough time pouring that wine. It was like running down his hands. Yeah. What? I don't know. He also squinted a lot or like blinked real hard. Yeah, I like noticed, and I feel like they emphasize shell that a shock lot. from the war or something. But I wonder, and I, 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 I was trying to think of what, um, what movie it was that I had seen this before, where they had taken someone, like a director had seen this person and just put them in the movie because of their look, like they, they just liked their face. Easy Rider. No, no, I, I wasn't. It's not a Criterion movie that I remember. It's, oh. but, but it was something where they were like, oh yeah, we saw this guy, and he just played. Just like the waiter did, like super small role, mm-hmm. not a lot of lines, but just for his look. And I felt like when I saw that, that it was just the way they emphasized it, that, you know, that they had seen the him and were like, oh, we got to have this guy in our movie. Like he just has this like, he's just this grizzled old guy and the way he blinks, like it would just be kind of this curious way. And I think that's kind of why Wally looks at him 
uh, in that weird way. But they do cha- exchange some weird glances in, in certain moments. And I wonder if it's sort of because Wally just is like just completely out of place in the restaurant. Could be. Like when, when Wally walked into the restaurant, he definitely had the feel to him that he was out of place. Everybody else is like he's putting on a tie as he's walking in uh, because it's definitely like a tie and jacket kind of place. But he's wearing like a corduroy jacket and everybody else is in like a very suit jacket. But then when Andre shows up, he's wearing a sweater and he's not even wearing a tie. He's wearing a button up like Mr. Rogers cardigan sweater. No tie. He's dressed like you do. When yeah. You go to work I was thinking he had a nice sweater. Like, <laughs> I really like that sweater. Shut up. <laughs> Uh, but so, so Andre, like he kind of has this very self-righteous kind of talk and he's always steering the conversation back to himself. Like if Wally talks about something, he'll be like, yeah, you know, that reminds me of when I was in Poland or when I was in Japan or was when I was in India. And like, he's, he's kind of trying to point out how society has all these things that are wrong with them. And like, people need to be more open to new experiences and they should be more grateful and thankful and living in the moment. And neither one of them ever, I watched, I paid very close attention to this. They never said thank you to the waiter. Yes. For anything. I wrote that down too. I wrote that down too. And the waiter comes by pretty often. Like he he took their order. He brought the appetizers. He took away the appetizers. He brought the wine. Uh, They cleared the plates. They brought the app, the not the dessert, but whatever they ordered. And, it, it's like they didn't even acknowledge him. They would stop their conversation, wait for him to do whatever he was doing. They wouldn't talk to him. And then they'd go about their business. They're trying to say how awful the rest of the society is. Right. And they can't even see themselves. And I don't know if that was deliberate. Oh, absolutely. Movie. Absolutely. It has to be. There's no way they wouldn't. There's just an odd pause where you would say thank you. And they obviously are not saying thank you to send you know some sort of message there. I don't know if the pause was like, okay, let's give the audience a break. We're not going to have any talking here so they can digest the deep thoughts. No, that was at the very beginning. About. They had He had just started to kind of talk when they when he first kind of brought them their drinks and stuff. That and He does talk you. right when they take the order because he's yeah. describing what the meal is. But yeah. that was about it. Hmm. I think that too is kind of set up too. That they're in a French restaurant. Well, I has no idea what any of the food is. And he's like, oh, quail, I'll take that too. And then when it comes, it's it's nothing what he thought it was going to be. Right. But it was quail. It was, yeah. So with some of the things that, uh, you know, Andre's talking about, which is sort of this theme that runs through the whole movie, is that at one point, pretty early in the conversation, uh, when he's describing like what he's been doing, he talks about this like existential question that he was kind of asking himself. You know, he says, Who am I? Why am I here? Where do I come from? And where am I going? I think that's sort of the question is that that's what he's doing to, you know, go out and explore. It's sort of like what's been, what the theme of the whole movie is. Even Wally is kind of talking about that throughout that. Like, who are these? Who are they? Like, what are they doing in their lives? Like, that's basically, what is the purpose? To me, it felt like Andre was either some like hippie who kind of grew up but couldn't really get rid of that like carefree lifestyle or he was trying to find that because he was definitely going to these weird like commune type retreats i didn't i don't i didn't honestly get like a hippie vibe from him honestly half the time he was talking 
and what he was talking about it sounded like he was tripping on LSD yes. the whole time. The he, whole time. The whole many times he talked mass, about like, visions and seeing things that weren't there. He did say he made a comment about like I mean I was on a trip. Not saying like traveling, but you know, the experience of right, what he was right. seeing. I, I have to imagine that in a lot of those cases he what he was doing was heavily drug induced. Uh it just Yeah, seemed, they never mentioned it. But he did talk about seeing like birds flying out of somebody's mouth i would look in the rear view mirror of my car and see little birds flying out of my mouth yeah something like that yeah, they talked that. about like a half man half bull creature he saw in the church yep a huge creature appeared looking at the congregation it was about i'd say six foot eight something like that you know and it was it was half bull half man and its skin was blue had violets growing out of its eyelids and poppies growing out of its toenails and it just stood there yeah but he's he's saying it very like seriously yeah it sounded like he was gone for almost a whole year where he wasn't with his family yeah it seemed a little strange he was I mean, it honestly plays up as this whole midlife crisis that instead of going and buying a fancy car or whatever, he just was like, oh, I don't enjoy writing plays anymore. I don't enjoy talking to actors. I don't enjoy teaching. Even the premise of how his whole weird excursion started was that he, you know, was asked to come to Poland to teach a class, to teach actors or directors or whatever. So I said, well, if you could give me 40 Jewish women who speak neither English nor French, either women who've been in the theater for a long time and want to leave it but don't know why, or young women who love the theater but have never seen a theater they could love. And if these women could play the trumpet or the harp, and if I could work in a forest, I'd come. (laughs) And then the guy, like, gets him that, his request, for the most part, and then he goes on this whole... You know, it, it's just sort of, it's just so, such a weird contrast, I think, between two, like we were talking earlier, is that he, it's like, oh, I'm this rich guy who can just go play around, and while well, I was just kind of sitting there looking at him, like, what? What are you doing? You, you're, you were so talented, you did all this stuff, and you're just sitting here complaining about Right, like, Wally literally walked, like, 40 blocks to get there. Took the subway, like, and that subway was tagged up. I know. I, I wrote that down. I mean, that... That was really a 1980 into, subway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, I, it's funny, just, you know, it, you go, you hear about that type of stuff. I feel like there was, I mean, like, what, like, Midnight Cowboy would be another good movie yeah. that would represent that. There's also a great book, uh, one of my favorite books. Uh, I can't pronounce the author's name. I'm not even going to try to. Uh, actually, I will. Arthur Narcissian. And it's a book called The Fuck Up. Hmm. Uh, really, really funny book. And it's just about this guy. He actually has, the character has no name. He's never, his name is never mentioned in the book. Uh, and it takes place in like the early, mid to early 80s in New York City. And he's just this kind of loser guy who picks up a job. Um, he accidentally gets a job at like this um, gay porn theater, even though he's not gay. And it just his the experiences he has throughout the book just kind of, that subway just reminded me of that because it's just all about that time period in New York when New York City was a very different place than it is right. now. So so to your point, like Andre's kind of talking about like how horrible his life is after he's been traveling around the world. And Wally's like kind of just barely scraping by. He, it, in his monologue, he talked about how his girlfriend had to like get an extra job or some like waitressing job or something. Right, she waitress three nights a week. just Because so he d- he's not really bringing money. any money. And on the way 
home after dinner, he says he treats himself to a taxi. Right. So, like, he doesn't have a whole lot of money, and he's listening to this guy getting all woe is me about my life while he's jet-setting around the world and just living it up. Yeah, I, I, well, there's one, one thing where Andre talks about being in the forest. And I would look at a leaf, and I would actually see that thing that is alive in that leaf. And it's just statements like that where you're just kind of like, what are you doing, man? Like, what? Yeah. I really thought... I was expecting Andre towards the end of this to say how like he realized he was gay because huh. a, a lot of the kind of ways he was describing things just seemed very like that's what he was finding out about himself. Then like he had certain lines where like he was talking about his this Japanese monk yeah. he met who then came back to New York and lived with him and how the monk would like he was really good with the kids and he said something like do i mean those children just giggles 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 about what this japanese monk was doing in these holy robes <laughs> who would I say mean, that yeah I, I don't know that means. then he later he was talking about flags and there was like a flag with like the buddhist swastika on it tibetan not the, tibetan and he kept saying he kept saying a line about letting his letting the flag fly that i would have a flag a large flag, and that wherever I work, this flag would fly. Or fly. seems like a, yeah. I guess maybe in the eighties, that's not like a saying people had. And then he was also when he was talking about the flag, he was talking about the I think the guy who sold it to him, and he was describing him as this like, you know, there was this very straightforward-looking guy, you know, very sweet, and really healthy-looking, and everything, nice, big, blonde. Yeah, you know, beautiful, clean loft down in the village with lovely, happy flags. And, and I'm like, okay, here it comes. Like he's been building to yeah. this. I, that's funny. I didn't. I didn't get that vibe I, at all. I think part of it was in the movie he is a theater person. In real life, he was a, a theater person, and he his facial expressions, his the way he talked, like with his hands and like with his eyebrows, was overly expressive. I think. Yeah. And I think it just came across as like he. I don't know more than he was letting on to be, but I think that might just be his acting style. But going along with that, so his his face his facial expressions. Mm -hmm. There were many shots in this where I felt like the camera was too tight on his face where the top of his head would either get cut out of the shot because he would move his head up or then his chin would get cut out of the bottom of the shot. There was no good reason that I could tell that the camera should have been that tight on his face on Andre's face. It could have just zoomed out a little bit and there was really only one spot I, that I noticed where the camera deliberately zoomed in on him. He was talking about like Halloween and yeah. some scary yeah, experience I that too. and being buried alive, like with this whole yeah. thing of where he wasn't really sure if he had, vol- you know, voluntarily gone into it, but then ended up, you know, he was, literally being put into an eight foot grave and right. having, simu- you know, being simulated that he's being buried alive. The stretcher was lowered into the grave. And then this wood was put on me, and then my valuables were put on me in my hands, and they'd taken, you know, a kind of sheet or canvas, and they'd stretched about this much above my head, and then they shoveled dirt into the grave so that I really had the feeling of being buried alive. And that was some sort of huge cathartic moment to him. How do you build tension in a movie where two people are just sitting at a table? The the only way they were trying to build the tension i think is with that camera shot well like, and you saw his face get like very yeah you could see the fear in his face when he was talking about it and it just slowly slowly zooms into where it really is just like his eyebrows to you know his chin 
Yeah, he started stuttering a little more there, I think, too. And like his face was kind of quivering a little bit. And I think he talked about that, that 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 moment was pretty cathartic for him because he said, You see that I've seen, that the people around your bed mean nothing. Your reviews mean nothing. Whatever it is, you do it alone. And so the question is, when I get on my deathbed, what kind of a person am I going to be? And I'm just very dubious about the kind of person who would have lived his life those last few years the way I did. And that was sort of his kind of realization. Right as to looking back on his life and realizing that, you know, what what really had he done? Shortly after that is when the quail came, and I noticed that Wally is using, like, a fork and knife to kind of cut the quail. You know, it's a greasy bird, and Andre is just kind of ripping the bones off with yeah, his hand. Like... <laughs> again, in a very fancy restaurant, he's just kind of, he's the one who's really out of place, I would say, not Wally. Well, it's almost in that I feel like you see that with even the way you talk about the way that he dresses, that there's sort of that people who are just very wealthy, they just don't care. You know, they're able to go into some place and pull off wearing like sweatpants and something and looking shabby. And I think that's sort of the thing. He's been in that restaurant. You could tell that he'd been to the restaurant many times based on the way the waiter treated him and everything. So they knew who he was. They knew you know, he had the money to it and he knows that it doesn't really matter. He, you know, he's also, I think he's wearing like a polo shirt yeah. under the, yeah, the sweater. Like. And once one of the collar, one side of the collar was sticking on top of the sweater and the other side was underneath man that bothered me. It was that way the whole movie, <laughs> which was good though, because it was consistent. Cause I was watching that. I'm like, there's going to be a spot where they cut back and like the collar is tucked. Oh, yeah, like some sort of continuity thing. So, and it really, I mean, the movie really felt like it was almost one take. It's not. The camera switches back and forth a lot. But it it really did feel like you're just going straight through, not a lot of cuts. And they had really long lines, too. I mean, I would say, to me, that was the most impressive part of this movie, that they're speaking these long lines that didn't didn't feel like they were, like, ad-libbing a lot of it. It felt like that was a line that was rehearsed and probably written the way they were saying it. And you might have one shot for several minutes, no cuts, and yeah. that person's just speaking and speaking. They're just delivering monologue after monologue after yeah. monologue, which, I mean, they're all, they're both, exper- you know, basically playwrights and having yeah. written a lot. So it seems like an interesting thing that they basically just wrote a, a, a movie that they could just deliver monologue after monologue. I mean, Andre obviously talks, feels like he talks for an hour straight with no cut. It just... Which is good filmmaking because they obviously cut many times throughout there. So in that sense, you don't even realize you're already in and you're like, have they even taken a break? He he said something in that earlier, you know, because the first 45 minutes is basically just him talking and Wally listening. Uh, But he mentioned something about... Everybody's supposed to be on an airplane and they've all learned from the pilot there's something wrong with the motor. (laughs) But what was unusual about this improvisation was that Two people who participated in it fell in love. So it reminded me of this one time when I was, I remember if I was flying to or from California, and uh, I was on a flight with a couple of my friends, but we weren't really all sitting together, so I was on an aisle seat, and uh, there was this girl who was sitting like diagonal from me, and she was being real fidgety while we were getting ready to take off. Fidgety like nowadays, a flight attendant might come over and, you know, what's going on here? But this was pre-9-11. Anyway, uh, eventually she like turned and looked at me and said, like, I haven't really been on planes a lot and I get kind of nervous during takeoff. Would you mind if I held your hand while we took off? <laughs> I'm like, 
I'm like thinking like, did one of my friends tell this girl to like <laughs> say something weird to me? So I'm like, okay. So while we took off, I was like reaching across the aisle and holding this girl's hand. I don't know. So that line kind of <laughs> reminded so me of random. it. It was very random. Um, and I don't think we talked after that, but. Oh, yeah. Good story. Right? Was your hand like all clammy and stuff? Maybe It was a little moist. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's why she didn't. Yeah. No, not my hand. Her oh, hand. Oh, her hand. Oh, okay. I wasn't nervous. She I was, was the nervous saying, one. Know, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so at this point, I think in the in the conversation there is they get to the the parts of the movie that I that I enjoy more. I think that's like the more philosophical aspect of their conversation. And it and it's interesting. I I, I hadn't watched it in so long. It's just funny the sort of the it it's that same old thing of where people are like oh this generation or this time period is so bad and then it's you realize oh that conversation occurred like almost 40 years ago and people have the exact same conversations they talk about like people being at parties and everybody's just performing it's not right. really being themselves they're just putting on a performance in front of everybody else and i think at one you know like they said uh oh, they're not looking they're not looking at anything they're just living in a strange dream world uh, where they're just so focused on what they want to get out of you or what they want in the conversation that they're not paying attention to the whole the whole piece. Because Andre right. talks about his mother being sick and the doctor coming in, being a specialist on the problem she had with her arm, and coming out and she's like dying. And he comes out after seeing her and he's like, oh, isn't it great the progress that she's making? This wonderful. But it doesn't really matter. She's dying, but he only saw the progress was being made with her, you know, with her, she, arm. With her arm. Yeah. Uh, and then while I, you know, that's just about everything like oh that's how they're being with everyone they're always putting on a performance and i wonder too um you know just like how that's what's happening is that's what what's going on between the two of them is andre kind of putting on this performance for wally too you know you think that he's that andre is like bragging in a way like that he's kind of that he's being self-righteous self-righteous yeah um and pretentious but really he's He's like bearing his soul to Wally. It's almost in a way that, hey, he this is the this is his only friend. It seems like everything he keeps talking about is all these people that he interacted with that he didn't like. The guy who came over to his house, and then he and that he had been great friends with, and then realized that the guy was just really annoying and was just saying these mm. stupid things. And when you think about it, Wally just sat there pretty much the whole time and let him talk and let and listen to him and was responding exactly to, and asking him questions directly related to what he was talking about. He wasn't just waiting for his turn to talk, which I feel like is something that everybody experiences. Well, he never got a chance to talk. Well, no, he does. He does get to talk at the end. Kind of Andre gets to say his, you know, say his story and then Wally gets in. And this is the point in which he gets into the conversation. Yeah. Well, that's when, um, so Andre kind of gives him a, a pause and Wally says, Do you want to know my actual response to all this? And I actually shouted, yes, because he hadn't been talking the whole time. I'm like, this isn't a conversation. It's just like one person giving you a monologue and you being polite and just nodding your head. Right. I mean, there was a a time when Andre was talking and he started getting loud while he was talking and laughed pretty loudly. And behind him, the waiter's standing there and he looks at Wally and Wally looks up and kind of they have like a moment. And I don't know if the moment was them both thinking like oh this guy's being a little too loud or the waiter was thinking that and wally kind of acknowledged it and then i don't know if he took the conversation from there but it was definitely like an acknowledgement that this guy is being way more talkative than anybody else in this restaurant and if the waiter's noticing that 
I think there's an issue there. Yeah, he does come over like within a minute of that and yeah, says, and then like, he oh, says is like, everything, everything okay? all right. Yeah. yeah. They still don't say thank you to him. Nope. <laughs> Andre was he was talking about some weird hut in Scotland or something. Mm-hmm. I, this part confused me where it was like a roof that was supposed to come off the building so they could meet aliens or something like that. The problem was because it needed a massive kind of roof was how to have a roof that would stay on the building but at the same time be able to fly up at night and meet the flying sources. So the architect meditated and meditated, and he finally came up with the very simple solution of not actually joining the roof to the building, which means that it should fall off because they have great gales up in Northern Scotland. I didn't really understand what he was talking about there either. So, and then he said... So to keep it from falling off, he got beach stones from the beach, or we did because I, I worked on this building, all up and down the roof, just like that. And the idea was that the energy that would flow from stone to stone would be so strong, you see, that it would keep the roof down under any conditions, but at the same time, if the roof needed to go up, it'd be light enough to go up. Well, (laughs) it works, you see. Now, architects don't know why it works, and it shouldn't work, because it should fall off. If nobody knows why the roof stayed on a building, that's bad architectural design. <laughs> you don't want an architect just being like, I don't know how this is going to work, but here you go. Just stay inside the building. Hopefully it'll stay up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That part was really, I didn't really get that. I mean, I have, there's people I know that talk in ways like this, and I'm internally rolling my eyes like, this is a bunch of new age nonsense, hippie bullshit. I don't want to listen to this. You don't know what you're, and, and to be fair, Wally does go into a, a, a pretty good um, retort about science and like scientific method. In the Middle Ages, before the arrival of, of scientific thinking as we know it today, well, people could believe anything. Anything could be true. Uh, the statue of the Virgin Mary could speak or bleed or whatever it was. But the wonderful thing that happened was that then in the development of science in the Western world, well, certain things did come slowly to be known and understood. I mean, you know, uh, obviously all ideas in science are constantly being revised. I mean, that's the whole point. But we do at least know that the universe has some shape and order and that, uh, you know, trees do not turn into people or goddesses and there are very good reasons why they don't and you can't just believe absolutely anything yes yeah yeah i really like that i thought that was you know quite applicable to today you know just the idea that hey we lived through the dark ages and then science came and we had facts and yes you can say what you want to say but science the science scientific method involves testing things over and over and over again to prove them to be true and not all this mysticism and all this other stuff that's just complete crap yeah, that I mean, that part kind of made me, it made me happy for two reasons. One, because I'm like, thank you. And then secondly, I'm like, okay, they understand that the this is probably what the audience is waiting to hear right. as well. Because it really felt like, it felt like Andre's trying to like sell Wallace on a, a cult or something. It like, did feel exactly like he's like trying that. to sign him up for Scientology and I'm multiple like, cults that he was like traveling around trying to find the cult that he was going to join. Yeah. And I'm like, is that what they're trying? They're trying to tell us as an audience, like, this is what you need to, to search for in life. And I mean, I, I think they're trying to get you to think about things a little differently, but they weren't necessarily trying to push his experience in Poland or his experience in India. Those were just kind of talking points on it. But man, hearing Wally finally express the inner feelings I had while listening to this diatribe for 45 minutes. Yeah. 
I was, I was very happy about that. Yeah, I thought, I mean, the, the other thing in, the, when, in that part of that conversation, when Wally talks about his electric blanket. Debbie and I were given uh, an electric blanket. I can tell you that it is just such a marvelous advance over our old way of life, and it is just great. But uh, it is quite different from not having an electric blanket. And I sometimes sort of wonder, well, what is it doing to me? I mean, I sort of feel uh, I'm not sleeping quite in the same way. No, you wouldn't be. I mean, uh, and my dreams are sort of different, and, and I feel a little bit different when I get up in the morning. I wouldn't put an electric blanket on for anything. First, I'd be worried I might get electrocuted. No, I don't trust technology. And it's just so funny. It's like it's an electric blanket. And to see, you know, almost 40, 40 years later, like, oh, here, you know, what technology is now. And we look at right. an electric blanket as a, you know, thing that hasn't changed since the late 70s, early 80s when they yeah, came out. True. But it actually brings up a really interesting conversation where they talk about, you know, oh, it's great. Like, I can... It keeps me warm or whatever, and my apartment gets really cold. And and Andre, I, it was the one part of the conversation that I thought was really interesting from Andre's point, where he was kind of going off on this pretentious way of thinking about it, but it was still interesting when he's like, oh, well, think about how that electric blanket has changed your perception mm-hmm. of your world, where it's changed the way, and even while he's like, oh, it's changed the way I sleep, but my dreams are different. So the idea of, well, yeah, you're not cold anymore you don't have to think about the fact of like oh is someone else cold in the the house or do i need to get extra blankets or pile up even says like pile up coats on the bed to keep myself warm and you kind of lose that touch with yeah with something else and they go on to say turn on that electric blanket and it's like taking a tranquilizer it's like being lobotomized by watching television i think you enter the dream world again i mean what does it do to us, Wally, living in an environment where something as massive as the seasons or winter or cold don't in any way affect us? I mean, we're animals after all. And it's a, it's a common thing to think about, too, when you, um, I think months ago I was watching an episode or a couple episodes from that John Adams miniseries, the HBO mm-hmm. miniseries. And uh, it's crazy to think, you know, they're, they're like in the winter and they have their like bed warmers that they would fill up with the coals and like warm the bed and or it's the summertime and they're, you know, they're in Independence Hall and it's like 90 degrees out with 80% humidity or whatever. And they're in these wool coats and, you know, right. shirts. Just the fact of how much, you know, HVAC, HVAC systems have changed everything. Like air conditioning, heating, how we're like, oh my gosh, it's 40 degrees outside. That's terrible. Like everything has to be room temperature and how our society has kind of in a way, we've kind of like softened to that thing. We have, we like all like that comfort. Right. And Andre's point is that we having the comfort it. in your own life desensitizes you to other people who may not have that comfort. Or it doesn't let you feel the way you should feel, I guess, is his point of view, that the comfort numbs you. And it's Wally's thing. He's like, I would never give up my electric blanket, Andre. I mean, because uh, New York is cold in the winter. I mean, our apartment is cold. It's a difficult environment. I mean, uh, our lives are tough enough as it is. I'm not looking for ways to get rid of the few things that provide relief and comfort. I mean, on the contrary, I'm looking for more comfort. Which is what got me thinking about that. Like, oh, life is so hard for me. I'm a playwright and I live in... It's like, okay, well, you chose to be an artist knowing that you're probably not going to make a lot of money. You've, You've made those choices in your life, you know... You can't really complain about it. You're, you know, you're complaining about, oh, people didn't like my play or I got a bad review. Well, it's not really, you know, 
you're not really saving lives. Yeah. You're, I do have a lot of like artistic friends who just try to make art for a living and then complain that it's, you know, they're not making enough money on it to pay their bills and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, think about every artist who ever existed, every major art, like think of major artists going back to Da Vinci or even before that, like how many of them actually had a lot of money? Very few were were rich some of the most famous painters that we know of even you look at like van gogh he died in poverty yeah mozart died in poverty buried in a mass grave these people after their death is are remembered on and on and their and their popularity increases but the majority of these big artists they don't you know have a lot of money what does banksy do what does he really do to make money does he make money on any of the random street art that he makes not really like yeah I mean, he's not out there in public doing anything, but still. I, I wasn't trying to say like, hey, you make art, you deserve to be poor. But I'm no, that's not like, what I'm saying either. There, there are things that suck about having a job that pays well, but having to work on a schedule and get up early every day and stay. Right. Like, there are bad things to every aspect, but I, I think, and, and I really felt it in this movie, you get very siloed in the way you view the world according to your own experiences. So Andre is is critiquing the world based on the view of a playwright. And he he keeps he keeps saying how like awful the world is is going and how like in a couple of years there's just going to be these like silos of of like little planets on our planet that are like beacons of light but the rest of the world's going to revert to like caveman mentality because everything is so terrible. And Maybe from his point of view, sure. But if you go to somebody else in a different part of the world or who has a different job, like they may not be saying that. But he's seeing and judging the world based on his own experience as this kind of, well, he's not a starving artist, but he's kind of treating himself that way. Yeah, and what was the part about the um, the woman only ate chicken? I mean, my mother knew a woman, Lady Hatfield who was one of the richest women in the world, and she died of starvation because all she would eat was chicken. Right, which is actually, I know you, when we were watching this, you looked at me and you were like, what? No, and you wouldn't starve to death. So it actually is a thing. You might die of malnutrition, but I wouldn't say that's starving. It's called, so it's it's actually, it's called rabbit starvation. Rabbit, as in the animal rabbit, star, rabbit starvation. And it's a thing, and I learned this on the TV show Survivor Man, uh, where... If you eat a, an animal that has hardly any fat in it, like a chicken, like a rabbit, like a squirrel, mm-hmm. and you primarily or only eat those things, eventually you will die. You will starve yourself because there's no fat in the in the meat, and you die of protein poisoning. It's a thing. Look it up on Wikipedia. Rabbit starvation. Well, if it's on Wikipedia, I mean... It's true. It's, it's Les Stroud, Survivor Man. Great show, by the way, that is no longer on, I don't think. That uh, that guy, that was a great I show. Saw that. Oh my gosh! So you had like the Bear Grylls, whatever it is. That guy, totally fake show. Les Stroud was awesome because. So we're just gonna go off on a complete aside here about that show. Mm-hmm. One, he 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 was Canadian, so that makes him a little cooler to begin with. He would go off. He would film. Aside from when he would get dropped off and picked up, he would film the entire his entire episode himself. Which means, in some cases, he would set up a camera and he would walk 
like a quarter of a mile away from the camera to get a shot of him walking away off into the distance. He would then walk all the way back and get his camera equipment to do it. And he did all this. He also scored and played all the instruments for the show and did all of that. And I'm pretty sure he edited his show too. So he kind of like did everything on the show. And he was pretty hardcore survivalist. I wonder if that's the same guy who does the primitive... It's called like Primitive Living or Primitive Survival. It might be. It's like be. a YouTube channel, and it's just him. He's had a couple other shows where he's done things, but Survivor Man was the first one. It was a very low budget um, on like the Science Channel that ended up getting mm. picked up by Discovery, and there was a bunch of cool stuff that he did. So, But anyway, that was a long aside. Uh, Survivor Man has nothing to do with this. No, no, that was, that was, it sounds like an intense show, uh, watching a guy walk off camera for 20 minutes. That's not actually what happened, but... <laughs> So to your point about like the last 30 minutes of the movie being kind of the most exciting, not really exciting. I think most interesting because they go on to talk about other things of like reality and we're all bored or all kind of like living this, you know, in this Orwellian nightmare. And are we asleep because we have these habits that we do all the time? And, uh, and Andre says how he's kind of saying how you need to take these like moments and like stop and kind of appreciate life. And like when he was looking at the leaf and realizing what the living thing was that it was made of. Uh, and then Wally, his, one of his lines at the end says, And I think I just simply object to that. I mean, I just don't think I accept the idea that there should be moments in which you're not trying to do anything. He's fine. He says when he's at home and he's got nothing to do, he feels like he should read a book or go out and do something. And Andre is kind of saying like, no, you should just, are you scared to be alone with yourself to just have a moment when you're not doing anything? It feels like he's, he's trying to push this idea on Wally that you're living your life wrong. You can't, you can't just keep filling up your time by doing things. You have to like, if you're, if Deb is there, you can't be alone together. Well, I think that's a good point though, because it's, uh, there was a little, I mean, this was maybe a year ago, a year ago or so. It has to be, but so there's a, there was the famous clip when Louis C.K. was on Conan's show and he talked about cell phones and social media and how like everybody's attached to their phone and there's not, he's like, there's not those moments anymore where you're, if it's just a quiet moment, you pull your phone out, you're never just sitting there knowing how alone you are. I mean, it was kind of funny, but also true in the sense that we don't. How many people, when they're standing in line waiting for something, whip out their phone? They're not just standing there looking around, you know, mm. not doing anything. You pull out your phone to occupy yourself, whether it's just like you're opening every app, trying to wait, kill the time without having to sit there. And as Lucy K said in that thing, just sit there with your own thoughts and which is kind of to their point in the movie, a scary thing just to sit there with absolutely nothing to occupy your mind. I think that's kind of what Andre's getting to. I don't think it's scary though. I don't, I don't like when people say that because <laughs> I think they're kind of implying that they're putting their own perspective on it into into. Maybe they're afraid to be alone with their own thoughts, but that doesn't mean I am. I could sit on my couch and stare at the ceiling. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> well, well, I, I don't think even what they're saying is that everyone is, that it's scary to be alone with your thoughts, but that's the perception that you don't, that it's weird. Not that it's, it's scary to be alone with your thoughts, but that it's weird to just stand there and not do anything. I feel weird if I do that, but it's because I know there's stuff I should probably be working on. No, I mean, I'm I don't want to just waste time. I'm talking about sitting or, well, whatever, standing in a line. Well, I guess it's a good point. The, the technology 
allow you to not waste your time. But right. in reality, what are you doing? For the most part, you would find people aren't necessarily on there checking their work emails or, you know, writing a, writing something down that's important to do. Most people are on there. I mean, they could be reading a newspaper or a magazine or whatever, something they brought with them rather than just standing in line conversing with somebody that you're standing next right. to. But I, I, I don't know. Again, I don't think that – I think that's putting his own personal values and assuming that the way he just learned to see the world in the last several months is the correct way and, and like Wally's way is incorrect. It, it kind of goes back to that feeling that he's a little bit self-righteous. Right. Um, and I don't think – even after Wally kind of talks with him at the end and that is actually conversing – I feel like Andre's not really hearing him. He's not. I mean, it's it's he he definitely isn't listening to what Wally's saying. Wally's listening to what Andre's saying. Yes, but it's clear that Andre has his opinion on things, and from that, I think you can kind of get why Wally potentially doesn't really like him that much. Because I can imagine him. I can. You could see a young Wally wanting to become a playwright or a play, you know, director, and looking at Andre who significantly older i would say he's probably at least 15 to 20 years older than yeah, he had a couple liver spots on his head there. yeah he did <laughs> and he uh you know he obviously would have had experience and would have been a successful director when wally was younger so yeah he, he would look up to him and then as you it's like anything you start to really get to know somebody and you either like them more or you're like ah, you weren't my first perception of you wasn't really what, like I know you from afar and looked up to you and saw what you did in your body of work. But now that I'm really getting to know you as a person, I'm like, I don't really like you that much. You're kind of irritating. Right. Yeah. Kind of wondering if that, maybe that's why he did go on these trips in the first place because he maybe being at home with his wife and kids for so long, like he was getting the sense that people were irritated with him. Maybe not directly but he- uh, yeah maybe i mean maybe not even irritating with him but kind of realizing that maybe all the stuff that he's doing that people aren't treating him the way he thinks he should be treated like he should be like oh what have i my life i haven't done anything with my life even though i've done all these plays and all this stuff maybe he's come to the realization that he's like that doesn't it doesn't really mean anything to him but the way even the way he described his own behavior just seemed like ugh, who you wouldn't want to be have this guy around you all the time like he brought that he brought that flag back from Nepal or yeah, whatever, and then he bad. he was talking to his daughter about it, and he's like, "Here, I want you to sleep with this flag at night." And she's like, "What?" And then like he brought it to a party, and somebody like vomited because they looked at the flag. Like his behavior is just like I honestly, absurd. The more and more we watched, he I would listen to him talk, and especially when I'm sort of making more connections because he referenced he started at the beginning made a comment about how he did a play on Alice, which is Alice in Wonderland. Yes, and then he mentioned towards the end about like going through a looking glass and that's you know another lewis carroll book uh, right right uh through the looking glass so at which they're all pretty much like lsd trippy books mm, uh right so i just i honestly feel like he's just on one long like he just is doing dropping a lot of acid he did talk about fawns and pan for yeah a while. or 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 was a or was the all these people moving and these people were moving counterclockwise and these people were moving clockwise and it in was like beehive. a human kaleidoscope yeah in the beehive and i was it's like what do you you know and i and i think that's sort of like you mentioned earlier with wally's facial tics and his expressions that he's just kind of like what are you talking about right but i mean that's so wallace wallace sean that's his full name right uh for anyone who hasn't seen this movie or doesn't know wallace sean for me before I saw this movie, his the 
thing I knew him the most from was the Princess Bride, right? And his classic inconceivable line, which he does say in this yeah, movie. Yeah, he does say. He says, it's it's inconceivable that anybody could be having a meaningful life today. And but his his acting in general, I think he has a lot of like expressive squints and kind of like smirks and stuff to the side. But he did do it a lot in this when Andre was talking. Yeah, and even so, I actually at one point. Uh, I think when he said inconceivable, I was, I, I just, I laughed because of course <laughs> the princess bride, but then they were, it, I kind of had a flashback to a scene in the princess bride that was similar to some of the, the way that Andre was saying things specifically when he's talking about like the human kaleidoscope and he's just going on and on and on and talking in circles of the scene where he's talking about the point in the princess bride where he's like, well, maybe the poison is in this one, or maybe I've put the poison in here right, and given right. it to you because you know that I would pick this one because you would pick that one. And it's like the, that whole loop of just crazy back and forth, very similar to I felt like to what uh, what was being said. Yeah, it's a uh, I forget what he calls it in uh, the Princess Bride, but it's the the Battle of Wits. Right, the he Battle puts of the Wits. the Iocane powder in, in one of the wines. Right. Yeah, one of the greatest movies of all time. By the way. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a I think we actually talked about the Princess Bride a couple times now. We talked about it because it was a movie about a book about book we just i don't know we've definitely talked about it before we also talked about the song that plays at the end of this movie mm-hmm. uh G- gymnopede right yeah the first or the first gym- i guess there was a series of those uh which was also used in the royal tenenbaums um in a scene where owen wilson's character is like on mes- mescaline mm-hmm. uh, it's a classic song one of the only songs in this whole movie there's another song being played by maybe a three-piece yeah it looked uh, like a three-piece band in the yeah. restaurant at the very beginning. So no no music. And I don't know if that's, that's because good, uh, the budget of this movie was so low. No, I, I mean, I guess it would just take away from the conversation. I, I It wasn't interesting there with just sort of the every now and then that would kind of like bring you back into the fact that they were still in a restaurant. You'd, You'd hear, hear laughter or someone say something that was just a little bit inaudible. Right. There was several times there was some police sirens to kind of set us back into the fact that we were in New York City. Are uh, the crashing of the plates and the movement of the glasses and stuff like that, but really we don't ever get another shot until the end of the movie. Uh, we see the bartender and the waiter in the yep. background, kind of every now and then talking to each other, but the camera never turns to the perspective of Wally or Andre to look back out at the restaurant until the end. Right, when you only we really see, that see their booth. They're folding up tablecloths that they've uh, uh, restaurant's been closed for a while. You do hear some people getting up and leaving. I think at a couple points. I mean, you don't necessarily know that the restaurant is closing, but you hear people walking around. There was at least one or two shots where the camera kind of pulled out on Andre because behind Andre is the bar. And the bartender's just standing there, like straight backed, like arms folded, like they didn't know what to do with him in the shot. He's just. I don't know. I wonder if that's, uh, like, if that's what he's supposed to do. It's one of those fancy restaurants that some of it's about the perception of things. So yeah, I guess I was, I was thinking like, Oh, that's like one of their buddies. And they're like, let's do a shot and just have him in the background. So he gets some like screen credit. And I don't think that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I again, it's not, uh, it's not going to be a movie for, for everybody. No, for this a lot is a people, movie about like, it's about philosophy. It's about thinking. Yeah. I've se- there's movies I've seen. I, we've probably all seen movies in this style before. I saw a movie, uh, I think it was it was something, I always want to say it's The Man Who Fell to Earth, but that's not, that's the... Um, no. 
David Bowie movie, but it was is a very similar title about a guy. Uh, he's at a dinner party with his friends, and basically the whole movie is this dinner party, and they're talking. And by the end of the movie, this isn't spoiling anything since I can't even tell you what the name of the movie is. It's revealed that he is basically unaging, and he has been around since like cavemen existed. And every 20 or 30 years, he just has to move on to a new group of friends. So nobody realizes that he hasn't aged. So once they realize this, they start asking him all these questions about like, did you know Buddha? Like, did you know all these different historical things? What is this movie? I can't remember the name of it. It was really weird. But the whole movie is just then this conversation. Like there's no action. And it's it's these types of movies that there was a a horror movie that came out not too long ago. And I think it it was called something about like, the dinner party, I think it was called. Oh, the was that party. the one with um, uh, David Hyde Pierce mm. from Frasier? Niles. Yeah, I know who. I don't know if he was in that. This was like a a couple gets invited to a dinner party, and it's the one guy's like ex girlfriend is throwing it, and it's basically that just this conversation between all the guests. There's some action that happens towards the end, but it's more like kind of the talk and philosophy of what they're talking about. David Hyde. No, there was a David Hyde Pierce one with, uh, a, yeah, some guest he yeah, had. But I it was really just the two of them, right? That movie was weird. Yeah. That was a horror movie. It was just the two of them, yeah. Yeah. I don't I, remember what that's called. Unless, the Host or something, maybe. There's another horror movie called The Host, which was a monster movie. Uh, I think it was Korean first, and then I think it got remade. It was like this weird tentacled creature I don't know. These movies like this are okay in certain situations, but I think what the subject is to me at least has to be more captivating. This felt very random. He would jump from subject to subject from like place to place, all these different trips he had gone on and the converse. I mean, it felt like a could have been a real conversation where you're, you're talking about one thing and at least something else completely different. And then this goes to some other place which is okay for a conversation, but it's not entertaining. Yeah, I guess, like you said earlier, if if you were more familiar with plays and uh, maybe even film and some things like that, that you would you would have gotten a lot of the. I, I recognize some of the the names that they were referencing, yeah, not enough to, you know, really tie some things together. But as the audience, we're sitting in Wally's shoes, listening to this conversation. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what? Because think about everything that Wally said was just straight up, we got it. We understood everything he was trying to explain. He explained it simply. Yeah. And, and you know. Because he's like the everyman. Right. Exactly. That's the, I think that's kind of the point is that it's, he's the everyman and we're looking at this guy just going on and on and on and on about all these crazy things that he did to just try to find himself. And Wally's like, well, yeah, you did all of that, but I'm pretty cool with just sitting here with my wife and drinking my coffee and reading my Charlton Heston autobiography. And that's great that you went out and you did all that and you still haven't really found yourself, but yeah. there's more to like, Hey, you could have, like, there's more to life than just that. Like sometimes the best parts in life are just not doing anything or doing these simple things. And just, I enjoy just living my life and, and doing this and making ends meet. And Andre's really trying to push the idea that no, you're you're not. You're not living life because you haven't done these things. And right. and there's a I think there's a line where Wally says something about 
You know, the awful thing is, uh, if you really say that it's, it's, it's necessary to uh, take everybody to uh, Everest, it's really tough because everybody can't be taken to Everest. But he says that. He's like, oh, well, if everybody had to get, get up to Mount Everest, like, how would you do that? You wouldn't. It'd be impossible. You wouldn't be. There are some people who just who can't get to the top. Right. So, but their life isn't any less worth than the people who got to the top. I, I yeah. I think that, and I think that's why when I saw the waiter giving Wally like the look, I kind of got the impression like he's probably hearing a lot of what Andre is saying because Andre is kind of talking loud, and the waiters probably could have been like their father's age. So I feel like he's like from this older generation, right? Yeah, and he's hearing this guy talk about all this like hippie nonsense. And he's given the eye to Wally, like, are you guys going to get out of here? Like, do I have to keep listening to this garbage? <laughs> right. I don't know. I, I was, I thought he was going to say something eventually, too, when he came to the table, like, ask them a question about it. And that would have been another. Now they're addressing, like, the the way the older generation thought about life versus this is the new way to think about it. But he never went there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, I mean, did you like the movie? Or no. did you hate it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I'm glad I saw it because I feel like I've heard it referenced enough. I think I told you earlier about my, one of my favorite shows, Community, had an episode yeah. called My Dinner with Abed. Uh, yeah, there's and, been a couple like spoofs of this. Yeah, and so at least now I know what they're spoofing, but I, mm, I'll i be fine never watching this again. <laughs> well, we'll be uh, for our next episode, we'll be kind of turning the direction and going into something a little bit more exciting. Uh, but that's it for this episode of Criterion on the Couch. You can find the show notes at criteriononthecouch.com slash mydinnerwithandre. Next time, we'll be discussing RoboCop, which, yeah, is in the Criterion Collection. That's right. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Criterion Couch. And on Instagram, we're at Criterion on the Couch. I'm Adam Yurick with Jim Massessa. Thanks for listening. See you next time.